Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. And to all of you who've been following us, thank you very much. Thank you for doing everything that you needed to do to contribute to this movement. Okay, since we're always asking you, we don't really want to be talking to the wall, but we want you to be engaged with us. So don't forget at this moment, do like, subscribe, follow, share, and just do anything you can in order for you to listen intently and also to share. So I am Grace Asagra of Quantum Nurse Podcast, and I am very honored and privilege at the same time to host this movement because it is high time that we present something legal and that's something tangible and doable. And with me is Roy Colan, who's been co-hosting me in many podcasts. And we met as a co uh, co-podcasters because we both feel like we have something to share, even from a distance. So thank you. And so, um, when I, I mentioned to all my friends that we will be doing this, there were many questions that they shared with me, but I'm sure that as we go along with this conversation, we will, those, those questions will be answered. So today we have, we're presenting to you the grand jury investigation team from Portland, Oregon. So we called you to join the fight for a grand jury investigation, which is happening for the oral hearings already. And it will be in December 5, 2023. And although it's upcoming, you know, these things take time. So feel free, you could always be engaged. You can find them and all other information in their website, beyondthecon.com. And yes, they need donation, not just to share this podcast and their information and their website, but you know, everything costs money and everything has cost a lot of prayers and really that kind of uh, revolutionary act. And I say revolutionary because we have to keep evolving for this purpose. And why are we doing this? It's because we want all children to have to inherit and they deserve a country where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness truly means something. And that's not dead. And that's why we're here, okay? And I wanna share to you also their grand jury goals, which all this information I got from this website, beyondthecon.com. Their grand jury goals is A, ensure criminals are held accountable. And I know most of you, and maybe some of you are still sleeping under the rug. We're waiting so intently when they can be accountable and B, help everyone who has been injured. So maybe some of you think it's over. No, it's not over because many are suffering. And C, make sure this never happens again. We're not nobody, we're powerful as the divine creator gave, made us to be, okay? So in this regard, I would like to welcome all the members of the team who are here, and I'm just going to uh, show their names and their areas of expertise, and after that, I'll hand it to Dr. E e Henry Ely. 
Okay, he, his name is always sounding good, Henry Ely III. So make sure you, you put that there. So um, in there, in it, and the different um, expertise that they bring to this table varies, and they've thought all of this greatly. So for the different areas in expertise, in which is happening in December 5, 2023, Dr. Henry Ely is expert in the asymptomatic transmission, natural treatments, criminal data fraud, and willful misconduct. Now we have Senators Linticum, and together with Senators Linticum is Senator Thatcher, and they're going to spearhead of what's going on in the government and how the DOJ has obstructed justice. And of course, we don't have Steve Junkus today, but he is also the leading lawyer and he will look into the law and willful misconduct. And we have Judge Paul Nally right now and he will educate us in the grand jury education. Because later I think he could begin with what is the grand jury. And we have many more that I am streaming and all these different informations of the team members will also be posted. And currently, at this moment, we also have Albert Benavides. He is going to share to us about the various analysis. Okay, so for now, these are the people who are with us. So Dr. Ely, why don't I just move on to you and then do what you need to do. You know, introduce yourself or introduce more the rest of your team. And I'll just be here, Roy and I will be here to support you. Grace, we appreciate that so much. And I would I would really love to uh, have you ask questions on behalf of your audience as we're going through this. I think that would be fantastic if something doesn't make sense or if there's just a really good question. I think it'd be fantastic. We'd love that. Roy, as well, we would love to, to have those questions and really create that interaction here. Um, you know, big shout out and, and a lot of gratitude to your entire audience. We greatly, greatly appreciate this opportunity to speak on on this topic. We've been at this for three years and we have to give uh, an, an update to the audience um, on uh, Friday, this past Friday at, you know, the last hours, you know, like they've been doing throughout this last four years where they issue anything that could be controversial. They always issue it on a Friday late. Right. So people go into the weekend. That happened, unfortunately, to us, too. Maybe fortunately, we don't know yet. But the three um, appellate court judges have revoked our right to oral arguments. Um, they said in a letter to our attorney, Steve Jonkis, uh, late on Friday, this past Friday, that they have all the information they need. Uh, the briefs, are th briefs that have been sent in from both parties are thorough, and they are prepared to make a unanimous decision. And I think all of us understand what that decision likely is going to be. Um, and that is going to lead us into finally getting where we really wanted to go with this, the Supreme Court. This case has been moving towards the Supreme Court ever since we filed it last March. And now we will finally, according to Steve Jonkis, be able to file an appeal on this if it doesn't go in our favor and be able to get in front of the Supreme Court where this was always going to land. Now, what we are going to do is we are going to initiate phase two of this grand jury process because this is a huge process and Judge Nally is going to educate people on the power and scope of the grand jury. What our team is about to do in phase two is go in and update all of our grand jury petition 
because there has been so much information that has come out since uh, March of last year. We're going to update that and we're going to provide templates to everyone in the country to be able to access their county grand juries, over 3,400. So when people are wondering, well, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? We certainly appreciate the donations. Don't get me wrong. But we want you to get into this fight. And we want to put you, put tools in your hand with instructions on how to use those tools starting in January. So what we're asking everyone to do is to join us on December 5th at beyondthecon.com. We are going to have a live stream set up for everyone to uh, come on there. So it's going to be December 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific. We're going to do a very short press conference on uh, what's going on during the day. If we did get a word in from the appellate courts, and then we are, are going to uh, launch a Q&A session for everybody and set the stage for how we are going to construct all this people behind the scenes and working with our team have already have already started putting together the um, structure for how we're going to pull this off nationwide starting in January. So we're really excited about phase two of this initiative. Um, what we want to share with the audience briefly is, is what happened and, and really the understanding of why, Grace, Roy, why we're doing this. You know, the second part of our mission is to help people who have been injured. And I think we've all seen the people who've gotten the shots were lied to. <clears throat> they certainly did not get informed consent. Um, we've seen too many people die, too many people be severely injured, and the government hasn't helped them at all. And so what we've been doing at the Energetic Health Institute is doing everything we can to raise funds and help those people. We've been doing, I think, a pretty excellent job of that over the last couple of years. But there's another avenue that we can take. And that big avenue is to prove willful misconduct. And this is the key legal concept that we have to get across to everyone out there. And we don't care whether we're the first team to break through or some other team breaks through. We have to, somebody's got to break through. And there might be 399 out of 400 judges who are corrupt. We got to find that one judge who isn't, right? And that's really what it comes down to. And the only way we're going to get that is by continuing to pound you know, pound the rock here, so to speak. You know, we are going to make sure we keep at this until we get through. Well, willful misconduct is the only legal concept that pierces the protections of the um, uh, for the vaccine manufacturers. Grace, are you aware of 42 U.S.C. 300 AA-11 and-22? Yeah. All right. Great. And Roy, are you familiar with those as well? No, I'm not. And to be honest, even if I was, I think just let the listeners know as well. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, 42 USC 300 AA-11 and-22, you can go and look these up. This is the United States Code. Establish protections for vaccine manufacturers. It prevents you from suing them when you or your child have been injured by their shots. It's the only product in the world that has such a protection. And it's very clear in those two statutes. Now, those two statutes do not offer protection where willful misconduct exists. And that's what we're seeing here. Um, additionally, there's another clause in there, Grace. Have you ever, do you know how much your baby is worth to the federal government, Grace? No? No, not that. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. There is actually, this is the first time and only time that a price has been placed on a human head after slavery. This one, this law really gets me. It's 42 USC 300 AA-15. Everybody can go look this up. In subsection two, it states clearly, 
that your baby or your loved one, if you're a little bit older, if they're a little bit older, then well, they're still your baby, right? It doesn't matter if they're 18 or 25, they're still your baby. If they get the shot and they die, as Simone Scott did, as Ernest Ramirez Jr. did, as so many children have, if that is proven to be caused by a vaccine, your baby is worth $250,000 to the federal government. That's how much your child is worth. These are unconscionable laws and things that we have to get repealed. We have to get taken down. And the process starts by us getting to a system that has been left in place by our founding fathers for us to access when there is corruption and running amok in our government. And that is, I don't think anybody can debate that at this point. That system is called the grand jury system. The grand jury system affords us tremendous power to investigate all matters of public interest, which this of sort certainly does fall into public interest. So way back in March of, of 2020, I started doing daily downloads of data, something uh, with uh, new cases of COVID, new hospitalizations, new deaths. And we started tracking what was going on because we wanted to predict, you know, based upon countries that were about two weeks ahead of us, Italy was about two weeks ahead of us, just how long this fiasco was going to last. And what the Italian data suggested was that it was going to last about 40 days. It was going to be a peak at about day 20, and then it would peter out by about day 40. And that's what happened in Italy. In the United States, though, something very interesting happened. We peaked at about day 20, like every other country. And then we started to descend for about three or four or five days. And then we started peaking again. And no other country did this. Now, me as a former data analyst, I had to go in and figure out, well, why did that happen? Are we really, is this something that's really happening or is this data manipulation? Is this fraud? And what we found very early on was that it was fraud. And there was multiple layers of fraud here, but the easiest two for people to understand are that they manipulated death certificates. They, for all time, for the last 17 plus years, if you had pre-existing conditions, comorbidities. The oldest comorbidity was considered the cause of death. So if you had hypertension for 10 years and then you caught the flu and you died, you died of hypertension, not of the flu. Does that make sense, Grace? It's crazy. You know. it's, it's pretty straightforward, right? It's, but they did something very interesting for COVID. They said, if you have a comorbidity and this is only for COVID, we need you to put that down in a different part of the death certificate, all of the pre-existing conditions, so that COVID can be listed as the cause of death. And what we've seen since is that anybody who's done audits on death certificates has found that these are fraudulent. In Alameda County, there was a 25% um, of the COVID deaths were fraudulent, were deemed fraudulent by the public health department. That's not even our audit. In uh, Santa Clara County, 22% of the death certificates that were audited were deemed fraudulent, that they weren't COVID. The ones that said that COVID was the cause of death, they weren't caused by COVID. We're talking about people, gunshot wounds, motorcycle accidents, falling off a building. You know, these people were still said COVID was the cause of the death somehow. It's clear fraud, right? Well, the CDC was heavily involved in this. The CDC is who issued this, uh, this edict out there. And when the CDC issued this edict, they did so without do, going through uh, following federal law. Federal law dictates that every agency 
does the same thing. That's the Administrative Procedures Act. That every single agency that proposes changes to data is going to go through an oversight process. Now, doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't we want someone in the government looking at other people in the government and making sure there's no fraud, right? Well, to initiate that process, what every agency has to do is report to the federal register and say, hey, we want to do this. And as soon as they report to the federal register, two things happen. One, oversight gets initiated by the Office of Management and Budget. And number two, it opens up mandatory public comment. Now, Grace, I don't know about you, but I don't remember us getting any public comment on these changes, right? Mm-mm. Right then and there, that is a clear violation of federal law called the Paperwork Reduction Act. And then there's a third law that they violated called the Information Quality Act. The Information Quality Act ensures that the information that is published by a federal agency is accurate, okay, that there's no fraud in it. So they broke three very important laws at the very minimum in constructing this criminal enterprise that they've put together. The result of it has been that um, at least $4.5 trillion of U.S. taxpayer money has been misappropriated, meaning stolen, and that um, that number is likely uh, low by about four times, so it's probably closer to about $16 trillion over the last four years, which is astronomical. And the greater loss for us has been life, liberty, and that pursuit of happiness that we want to pass on to our children. So what we're left with is going, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to go on social media and complain about it? Or are we going to go pressure the system, pressure the system to expose who they really are and either give us some sacrificial lambs and move this ball forward or prove to us that our system is so corrupt and so beyond repair that we have to consider other options. And that's what this team has been doing for three years in the working behind the scenes, don't need the fanfare, don't want any kind of celebrity nonsense or anything like that. We just wanna do God's work. And in our opinion, what we do every single day that we come together is God's work. And we've been very blessed uh, over the years to add very important people along the way, experts in their um, topics like Judge Nally, who's the expert in the country, in my opinion, on grand jury system. Albert Benavides, who's the expert on VARES in the entire country and data analysis. And what it affords us is an ability to talk about this topic with a certainty and a confidence that very few people have in there. So much so that when people try to discredit us, like the USA Today has tried to discredit us, they can't because there's no argument. And so the Department of Justice and our judicial system and our U.S. attorney system understand that if this gets in front of a grand jury, it's good night. It's good night for all of them. So they're going to do everything they can in their power to prevent us from getting to the grand jury. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure we do. And my promise to the American people is that we will get this information before a grand jury, period. I don't care how long it takes and I don't care what we have to do to do it. This is getting in front of a grand jury and Americans are going to have a thorough investigation of these explicit and um, really unconscionable crimes that have been committed. And that's where myself and Senator Linthicum, I hopefully I can speak for him on that, and Senator Kim Thatcher are committed. We're going all the way to the Supreme Court with this, and we are going to launch phase two, and we're going to give power back to the people to engage the grand jury system. So with that being said, 
perhaps Roy, you had, I think you had a good question coming up or comment. Yeah, well, I, I mean, first of all, you know, you were saying that tr trying to get other people to do the same thing, and it, it doesn't really matter who wins as long as you get a, you know, a judge that will accept it. Is this something that you're trying to encourage internationally as well? Are trying to just do it in the states because this has happened internationally i mean the fraud has been all over the world <laughs> yeah i think we just saw poland right i think we just saw poland say we don't want any more of your shots <laughs> they want out of the contract with pfizer and this is what's so crazy about this right pfizer gets to sue poland but nobody can sue pfizer this is this is so astronomically insane um, I, I think there are applications for sure. And I think what we'll, what we'll be able to do, Roy, in sharing our exhibits and there are updated exhibits is that they're all going to be like we always do, cited, referenced, verified. And people in other countries can take that information and put and can, and can take our template and construct it in the manner they would need to for their legal system. We don't have any expertise in, in international law um, and we don't claim to, but we do have a very um, real openness to collaborate with anyone who's got their heart in the right place. You know, and we've seen, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, there have been some actors who've come into the health freedom movement who have uh, defrauded American people even more and made claims about what they can and can't do. We've seen fictitious grand juries pop up and I've been behind the scenes trying to work to get those shut down because they actually do a disservice in my opinion to what we're doing here. We have to, if we're gonna take real measures, we have to make sure we're willing to be in this fight for as long as it takes. Um, this is a fight we, losing is not an option here. It's just not an option. Um, so we're going to work with whoever has their heart in the right place and is willing to do the work, whether it's at a county level American or whether it's somebody internationally. Our job here is to provide the means with which a person can win a fight. And that's what we're doing here. And with the like jurisdiction in the courts, because unfortunately, I think we all realize that the whole system all over the world is corrupt because when a political party changes, the top judges changes. and like, have you kind of investigated of so, like a system that can be created without going into the den? And, you know, because like it's kind of living in hope. Oh, we hope that we get a judge that will work. But the reality is there's so many of them that are corrupt. I'm, I know there's decent people out there, but they're kind of threatened as well. I mean, I've seen some of the, even some people on my that have been on my show and everything, like just hearing some of the situations mm -hmm. when somebody stands up and sticks up against them, they do everything in their power to crush them, threatening them, their, their job, threatening their pension and everything. And just like, how are you navigating that? Well, there's two things with that. Number one, um, the first principle that we work from is the greatest energy always prevails. You know, and I think you just have to be in the mindset of that. My love for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is far greater than their love of evil and corruption and tyranny. You know, um, and I think that's the approach that we take for it foundationally with everything. There's always an expectation to win. We know God is behind us. God just asks us to do the work. Let's do the work, you know. Um, the second part of it, though, is understanding that, like in the United States, this system does already exist. Our founding fathers had the wherewithal to understand governments and people within governments, because that's really what's going on, have always the temptation to become tyrannical and corrupt. And especially if there is collusion 
um, among them, you know, collusion that in this case could easily be construed as treason. So I think what we want to do is make sure a big part of what we are offering is not just information, but an education on the power that people actually possess. They want us to go on social media and complain and get outraged because that's that just weakens us. They don't want us organizing, right? They didn't want us, they wanted us all locked down. They don't want us organizing. They don't want us doing what Dr. Martin Luther King suggested, that people who love peace better start organizing as much and as well as the people who love war. And I think that's where we bring, where we come in, is let's get ourselves really organized. Let's make sure that we are beyond reproach, that we are impeccable with everything that we are offering and let God and the truth come to light. It always comes late to the party. Like Mark Twain said, you know, the lie will travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes, right? In this case, probably traveled around the world about a bazillion times before the truth put on its shoes. But that's okay, because the truth ultimately will put on its shoes, and we want to be the deliverers of that truth. So I think for us, it's making sure that we don't give in to despair and hopelessness like I said, I don't care if I come across 399 courts that tell me we want nothing to do with you. I'm going to go to that 400th court because all I need is one. And I'm, that's the attitude that we have with it. So to better explain that, though, Roy, why don't we bring on um, Judge Paul Nally here to educate us about the effectiveness of the grand jury system and what it is, because it's something that once you start learning about it, it the light bulb goes on for people instantly this is the solution. I get it. I finally understand why this is so important. Judge Nally, why don't you give us an A-plus education on the grand jury system and the awesome power that it really is? All right, young man. I don't know that I'll be doing an A-plus, but we're certainly going to give it a shot. First thing folks need to know that in the United States, the second most powerful entity in the constitutions, whether it's federal or state constitutions, is the grand jury. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, no, the judge is, or a prosecuting attorney, or the FBI, or the local sheriff. No, they're not. Everybody in the continental United States, no exceptions, answer to a grand jury. By the way, Michael Zarzano uh, won't be with us today because he's uh, going over a recent grand jury, statewide Florida grand jury uh, presentment that was just released this past uh, day or so. But at any rate, the you have to understand that a grand jury inquiry is a fearsome tool that has been left in the hands of the people, not the judges, not the U.S. attorneys. So any evidence that is taken to a grand jury, the truthfulness of that evidence, the veracity of that evidence is passed on by the grand jury. So you have to understand that if that evidence goes against a pharmaceutical company or it goes against some 
U.S. or state. Um, executive, they're subject to being presented to a criminal trial where they can lose their liberty. So from the standpoint of, of the power that is left in our constitutions, the grand jury is the one place where our neighbors, not government officials, our neighbors get to look at the evidence that exists. They determine what is true. It is part of their oath that they will diligent inquiry and true presentment make. And by the way, they're the only ones whose oaths of office require them to be truthful. Any other public official that takes an oath of office can look you square in the eye and lie to you through their teeth, but not a grand jury. A grand jury is obligated under their oath to tell the truth. And we, as citizens, have a responsibility to know the truth. After all, even though we subject ourselves to a grand jury inquiry, we still are sitting members of the board of directors of two of the largest corporations in the world, the state in which we live and the United States of America. The constitutions are nothing more than charters in contract law. And, and it's past time that the people understood that. But unfortunately, we got a little lax. We, we've got to admit, we got a little lax in our education. Uh, we didn't pay attention. And our fathers and grandfathers did not force upon us the understanding of what the grand jury really is and how it can be used. Consequently, our educational system in this state and this nation have done an absolutely marvelous job in educating this people to the maximum level of their acceptable ignorance. And that acceptable ignorance is turning us into servants and slaves of our public servants. So at any rate, the, the grand jury is the one place where evidence can be taken and sifted through and determined whether or not the evidence is valid or if it's invalid. And if it's valid, then it's up to the grand jury to determine the results of their inquiry. And with that, I'll yield for any questions. I got a question for you, Your Honor. Sure, far away. So <clears throat> it's, a grand jury is made up of people like you and me, right? They're our um, neighbors. If they wanted to, say, um, subpoena Anthony Fauci and the records surrounding all of the communications between him and the government and Pfizer and and Collins and all these people within the federal government, would they be able to do so? Yes, they would. Now, of course, when you're talking about uh, subpoenaing individuals who are subject to presentment or indictment, 
you have to understand that the grand there's one thing the grand jury cannot do and that is as was stated in uh, i think it was justice powell in uh, usv calandra where he made the statement that the grand jury itself cannot violate any valid privilege whether established in the constitution the statutes or the common law and one of those uh, immunities is the right not to testify against yourself. So bringing Fauci in to provide testimony to a grand jury would be a bit tricky. And the reason it would be is because if you want him to tell everything about everybody he knows about and can prove, then you're going to have to give him immunity from prosecution, what they call transactional immunity. You don't, you may not want to, the grand jury may not want to do that. The grand jury may want to hold government officials criminally liable for the degree of the conduct that they have been engaged in. And by that, I'm talking about the information that comes through uh, the VARES reports or comes through uh, John's. Uh, analysis of the death certificates, especially where children are concerned. So they might not want to question him, but they might want to question everybody that works for him, mm -hmm. at which they can do. And yes, they can. They, nobody is immune from a grand jury subpoena. So if a grand jury were to subpoena you, myself, Albert, Senator Linthicum, and we refused that subpoena what would happen to us well uh obstruction of a grand jury proceeding if i remember correctly is a federal felony <laughs> so you know we if we're going to do that we certainly should uh, as a matter of precaution uh, pack a toothbrush a towel and a bar of soap on a rope and get ready for a change of residence to the nearest federal facility. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Let's, um, let's move over to, uh, to Albert next. Uh, Albert, everyone is our, um, and, and in my opinion, the number one Bears uh, analyst in the entire country. Um, no one has looked more closely and, and, uh, and I think more expertly, um, delved into what's really going on with VAERS and uh, how it does not offer informed consent for a variety of reasons, um, does not offer truth in what in what the numbers are. I thought I knew VAERS pretty well. I've been teaching about VAERS for roughly about a decade. Um, and Albert dropped my jaw. He taught me a whole bunch of stuff I didn't even know about VAERS. So Albert, what would you like to share with everybody listening in about uh, VAERS and what's been going on? Uh, thank you, Dr. Ely. And uh, yeah, uh, so I'm a I'm a medical biller by profession, 25 years, um, and I created these um, VARES interactive dashboards. So uh, just to get a graphical visualization of the data and what's going on, and I've been following it uh, since day one of the pandemic, and uh, I've come to the conclusion uh, three simple. Um, 
my message, my mission statement now is that, is that I believe that um, VAERS does not publish all legitimate reports received. And that's, that's a big deal when we talk about things like under-reporting factor that, oh, you know, we, we hear that only 1% of all of the vaccine adverse events, all the injuries, only 1% actually gets reported to VAERS. And I do believe that, but I also believe that when the reports do get to VAERS, VAERS does not uh, publish all the legitimate reports received. Even uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, said that uh, he had spoken to a bunch of Bears representatives and they collectively told him back in June 19th of 2021 that 150,000 reports had disappeared from their queues, meaning they have never been published. So that's a mighty uh, scathing uh assertion or insinuation. Uh, so they don't publish all legit reports. They, <clears throat> they delete legitimate reports after they receive them and they publish them for the world to see. And then at a later date, they'll go and delete reports. Um, they can, sure, they can delete reports under two premises that I fully agree with, that A, it was a duplicate, or B, that it was a fake or false report. On paper, I, I, um, I totally agree with that. Uh, but, but please uh, take note that, that they do have up to or give themselves up to four to six weeks to rigorously vet and authenticate a report before they finalize it and publish it. So within that four to six weeks, they should be uh, capturing um, fake reports or duplicates, you know, and going, oh, we're not going, we're not going to publish this one. So therefore, those reports are not legitimate in the sense that they were a duplicate or fake or false. I don't see anybody going to jail yet for fake or false reports, but so be it. I'm sure there's got to be some people trying to sabotage the system. But uh, I, I have a feeling a lot of those reports never even make it to publication. So. So with that, they've deleted over, they still found the need to delete over 30,000, 31,000 reports, just COVID-19 reports, and of the 31,000, 1,100 have been death reports. Uh, babies, kids, uh, adults, they've even deleted a dead Pfizer trial patient. That stuck out like a sore thumb when when he was when that report was in there because the person had a vax date of September of 2020 with them with a, a Pfizer jab three months before the rollout so it's like that's why they stuck out like a sore thumb and then it and then about three four months later after it was published it was then deleted and so those are the kinds of things that's like wow you even delete dead trial patients and uh you're not held accountable or an explanation because because it is definitely not a duplicate and i can't find uh, it doesn't look fake or false to me uh submitted by a contactable physician yeah and, and what gets so crazy about that everyone is that one death in a clinical trial is supposed to shut the clinical trial down 
One death is supposed to stop the clinical trial and is supposed to bring them back into a prior phase to reformulate and see what happened. But that didn't happen here. They just deleted data, which is fraudulent. It's a fraudulent criminal act. And then said, yeah, we're going to keep moving through. One of the cool, one of the interesting things about the Pfizer trials, clinical trials that a lot of people don't know, Grace, <clears throat> is that <clears throat> they're published by the New England Journal of Medicine, right? Does everybody remember December of 2020 when we got that whole 95% efficacy and totally safe nonsense, right? Does everybody, you remember that, that ridiculous number? Well, everybody found out from the British Medical Journal, um, which did a great job that they were looking at uh, relative risk reduction and not absolute risk reduction, which is a terrible model, but that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of folks. I think what means a lot to a lot of folks, and I wish the British Medical Journal would have commented on this, is what we found in our peer-reviewed paper that we published in, um, in March of 21. When we looked at the clinical trials, 6,282 people that were in the clinical trials were removed from the final safety analysis. And when we contacted Pfizer to get that information, when we contacted the New England Journal of Medicine to get that information, no one had that information of what happened to 6,282 people. And then when you hear what Albert is saying here, that there was people reported to Varys that had died after getting after being in the clinical trial and getting the shot, and they just deleted that information. So that person doesn't exist anymore. That I think you can see the scope of the fraud. And I don't think anyone needs that kind of proof anymore about, hey, this is fraudulent. We all know it's fraudulent. But um, Albert, you told something else to me that that just blew my mind. I wasn't aware of this with Veras, and I don't think very many people are. What happens when, let me say, ask it differently. Is the CDC required to update what's happened to people after their initial report. So for example, if a person filed a report because they got the dang shots and they passed out, and then two weeks later after the report is filed, they died. Is the CDC required to update the public on that reality that now this person is dead? What happens in those, in those scenarios? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Ely. And that is exactly what this most recent uh, BMJ article was about when they talked about uh, VAERS has two, um, the CDC has two databases for VAERS, uh, a secret one and a public one. And that is uh, exactly to the point of what you're asking. And, uh, and the answer is that um, do they have a, a, an obligation to publish follow-up data that they continue to capture even though, um, you know, only the initial report is made public? So that's, that's the thing. Only initial report is made public, and they will not um, append or publish uh, additional data even though it continues to be captured, even like death. When they find out later that the person actually has subsequently died, they're not going to update the initial report. And that wasn't always the case. Previous to January of 2011, they did append uh, follow-up data to the initial report in VAERS, which means that the, um, two, the late 2010 Harvard Pilgrim study, the one that came out and 
told us that only uh, they think that only one percent of the actual injuries actually get reported to VAERS. In that in that era, uh, the Harvard Pilgrim people didn't have to contend with the paradigm shift that we have to contend with now today is to ask ourselves, well, gee, wait a minute. How many of these one point six or seven million VAERS reports for covid where how many of these people are actually now since dead? We don't know, but there's but the CDC, they continue to capture. They know they, internally they know. So it, it's not so much that they have a second, uh, a second hidden hidden database. It's just that we, the public, only get to see the initial the initial visit, so to speak, like like when you go to your doctor and you have your chart and then you got your initial visit and all your follow up your follow up visits we can only see the initial the initial visit um outside here in the public so uh that's that's a scary thought because Dr. Ely I think you can easily double the 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 uh recorded deaths in in bears now you could double that number for the for the people that are now since dead that are already in the in the system. So, so, so we, ha we have a situation with VAERS, everyone, where um, if you just look at United States only, we're in the, what is it, 19,000 people died uh, in, uh, in connection with these shots, Albert? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Uh, how many people in the United States, because I know there's, there's two little ways that you can look at VAERS, how many people are have supposedly died on their initial report um, uh, in association with the COVID shots? Ah, um, that is um, 18,000 18, in the domestic uh, United States and uh, 36,000 in the entire uh, with domestic and foreign in the uh, for COVID jabs only. So we're looking at we're looking at. 36,000 people have died in connection with these shots, and these shots are still available on the market, and you can't sue them. Nobody can sue them. And then we have over, what, 1.7 million uh, records associated with of injury associated with these shots. And we know that the CDC is throttling, meaning slowing down and preventing the publication of these. And we don't know of those 1.7 million how many of them have died following this so th this is a, but the cdc does know is that what i'm hearing albert absolutely absolutely <clears throat> and uh dr ely I, I don't know if you guys can see my screen i'm assuming that you can mm -hmm. uh, I, i'm showing you just this last piece of what they what i call throttling and it's the purposeful delay of uh publishing reports and uh, as you can see, this example here, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it one more. See if it if you can come in and see this. This is a death. This is a person that died in bears, and it was published back in April of 2021. Person, 66 year old from Iowa. You can see right here. Did the person die? It says no. The box was not checked off. But the symptoms say death and unresponsive to stimuli. Wow. And the, the write-up itself says that the patient was found unresponsive and pronounced dead by staff in early morning the day after. So 
there you go that the person actually, although it doesn't say it, the person actually died on January the 13th, and then it was submitted to Bears on January the 13th, and then Bears didn't even do that good of a job for an early warning system and didn't publish it until April. So a few months later, they finally published it as not a death, though. This is not a, it, these boxes mean everything. These are the event level boxes. So this person was not counted for about two years. And then in just in our last drop, closer to three years, in the last drop of data updates, they actually went back and said, oh, wait, wait, we found it. We found it. Nope, the person is dead. So they checked the box is dead and they actually gave us the death date. So this is a form of throttling where it took them two years and nine months to tell us this person actually died, even though it said it in one simple sentence right here. This, yeah, it would this be, is a it form be, of throttling. It would be interesting to see what the change in American behavior regarding the shots, especially in 2020 and 2021 would have been had they actually gotten this information when they were supposed to get this information, right? And that's what makes it criminal data fraud and infringes on informed consent. Albert, I'm going to move over real quick to yeah. Senator Linthicum. Senator Linthicum has been one of the, we, we have this thing where we, we think everybody in government, everybody in the judicial system is, is corrupt and bad and blah, 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 blah. And I certainly was, was feeling like that in 2020. And, uh, and, then you know you start talking with more people and you start getting the privilege of meeting certain folks who aren't that way and senator linthicum has been one of the champions for health freedom throughout the country for pretty much his entire um career uh in in politics um and you know i, I think it's important for us to make sure we hail folks like this because he doesn't just talk about you know, what we need to do and give you some double speak like most politicians, he actually does it. And he's one of the few out there in the entire country who's actually filed a legal action against the government, which is crazy. So Senator Linthicum, thanks for being here with us today. And can what would you like to share with everyone about your experiences throughout this and your involvement with the DOJ and this wild ride we've been on the last three years? Yeah, thank you. You know what's what's relevant here is um, government is um, is a is the most powerful entity that we're all aware of, and um, government the actors within the government realm um, are easily replaced. Voters replace them all the time. Think of the White House at the federal level. The president of the United States, just like President Trump. Four years, boom, he's out. We can do that. We can we can actually have a voice in this. But in the meantime, what we see is we see the corruption and wholesale manipulation of government agencies and power um, where people were coerced or forced or whatever into untested experimental gene biologics. They We now know that that, RNA modulated um, biologic injection can integrate into every individual's DNA. And, and they, they did this all, quote, uh, uh, legally. They, they legally uh, badmouthed ivermectin, they badmouthed vitamin D and vitamin C 
because they had positions of power. And so our responsibility as citizens is to take the power back. We, the people, are the individuals who have absolute power and control over government. Administrations come and go, and we, the people, stay in power even beyond those administrations. And what our uh, grand jury petition essentially organizes it is it organizes the uh, dates and times and specific violations of the Information Quality Act and the Paperwork Reduction Act. And these violations are dead serious. They are absolute integral to our concept of what public health and good governance would look like. When you can't tell public health from public harm, you're in a tough spot. And so we're making the argument that grand juries uh, can be um, uh, brought in every single county in the United States. I looked it up the other day. There are 3,143 counties or county subdivisions, um, administrative divisions within um, the United States. 3,150, essentially. That is a lot of district attorneys that could impanel a grand jury and bring a focus at the local level in every little county, in every large county, in counties all over the US, we could get people to impanel a grand jury, a grand jury of your neighbors, your peers, individuals who have an, an interest in watching big government and controlling big government, because that's our fundamental responsibility. That's the battle that we need to um, get involved with. And so our grand jury, they denied our oral arguments. In other words, you peons, we know everything we need to know. We're going to make our decision and their decision isn't going to be for the benefit of the public. Their decision will be for the benefit of those who are making money at the high on the high end of this game. And uh, there's a lot of money to be made in controlling the public mind and public behavior. So even here in Oregon, um, you know, I, I was paying attention to statistics much like um, we see, you know, in in this arena where Albert's describing statistics that don't quite match. I had a newsletter in 2021 where I pointed to statistics that without a doubt coming from Oregon Health Authority proved that um, that COVID wasn't as dangerous as the mediocre scientists and vaccine uptake propagandists were alleging. And as soon as I pointed that out on the Oregon Health Authority website, that page got taken down. The statistics were modified and a new page was put up that was harder to read, couldn't make sense of, was difficult to find the truth about. And that's why we need the power of the grand jury to subpoena to request uh, unredacted documents instead of allowing them just to present a page of data as evidence and the whole page is blacked out except for the date. 
yay, we, we didn't score much in that example, did we? And we see that time and time and time again, the public uh, now discovers that the CDC has no data, no information for social distancing, for mask requirements, for um, vaccine effect, uh, efficacy or safety. We now know that this whole uh, social distancing mantra, even the asymptomatic spread of COVID-19 was all farce. It was made up and made up on the fly in clear violation of the uh, Information Quality Act, which is federal jurisdiction that requires these agencies to ensure that their data is accurate and can be disseminated without bringing harm to the public at large. And so this is, this is our time to hold, you know, the question is a famous question all the way from ancient times. Plato said, who's going to watch the watchers, right? And Grace, this is our position today. We are the ones who are responsible for watching the watchers. They're in, in charge. They're manipulating data. They're making money. And we've got to hold them accountable. And, and I don't buy the idea that we should you know, that, the, oh, they made some simple mistakes and we should, you know, we should let them off the hook and provide them with some, some uh, you know, um, what do you call it, amnesty, because amnesty isn't appropriate. These guys have had years and years and years of not taking responsibility and making money and they've callously ruptured uh, the freedom and integrity of our public health system. So I'm in favor of all those individuals who say, take this system and break it down um, and uh, let's get back to living life where our first clause is do no harm. Um, and we have, uh, we have missed the boat wildly. Hey, Senator, just curiosity here. What kind of person needs amnesty? <laughs> the guilty person. <laughs> exactly right. We gotta we gotta remember that when everybody's asking for amnesty. Hey, uh, let's just uh, let's let bygones be bygones. I was a criminal, but eh. no. The only people who need amnesty are people who've done wrong, criminals, right? So, um, Senator, just uh, last last thing for you, because I know you and uh, Senator Thatcher have done such a great job. Can you share a story about your interactions with the Department of Justice when we tried to do this before uh, launching uh, the grand jury initiative in, in court? Yeah, I, I, I think you're, pro you're probably referring to um, the, we had a, um, you know, when you make a filing, there's 90 day, you, you make a filing, uh, there's a 14 day period for the government to respond then there's uh, then we had uh, 30 days or 60 days. I'm not sure which it was so long ago to respond. And then they can uh, respond to our response. And they asked for an extension. The D Department of Justice asked for an extension on their response time. And so now we're like at the six month mark and um, they missed their deadline. They asked for a, 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 an extension. They came all the way out to the extension date, 
miss the date. And of course, we're watching, we're patiently biding our time, waiting for their response, and they miss the deadline. So we jump in and say, aha, we got them. And we um, we jump in on top of that, seeking um, an injunction. What they, uh, they turn around and the attorney who um, had filed this makes the claim that, oh, I had, uh, my dog was sick and I was busy at the pet vet with my dog and that's why I didn't get the paperwork in on time. And now this is a 90 day extension. This is way the heck out on the calendar, but by golly, and the, the judge uh, grants the extent, uh, another extension, they turn around and get their document back in really fast. And, and it's just criminal. And when I was a kid, I don't think m my dog ever ate my homework, but I can imagine any little grade schooler coming up with that excuse. Oh, I'm sorry, teacher, the dog ate my homework. That's why I didn't turn it in this morning. And that's the way the DOJ is treating us. They're treating us like we don't have brains, we don't have minds, we don't understand right from wrong, and we are essentially, quote, powerless because they've got um, all the controls at their fingertips. This is the beauty of the grand jury. We have 3,150 elected district attorneys some people uh, play golf with the district attorney. Others have wives that um, are friends with the district attorney. Their kids play soccer together. That district attorney is a perfect place to forfeit, for focus efforts because that district attorney is locally accountable to the public that elected them to office. And so that's 3,150 opportunities for the people in the United States of America to grab this by the heels and come to a position where they say, we demand a response, a legitimate response, not some PR piece coming from the CDC. We've seen enough of that. We're interested in holding you, our DA, accountable for impaneling a grand jury and getting the grand jury of our peers and individuals who have been harmed, get them into the juror chair and let's see how this comes out at the end of the day. And so um, our template will, we're, we've got a template at the federal level and we will um, be working on making that a, a, a template that will work at the local level too. Um, the grand juries uh, exist in all sorts of jurisdictions um, at a regional level. In the U.S. District Court level, your um, attorney general could impanel a grand jury like has been done in Florida. But at the local level, at the county level, because some counties, I have a county with um, 7,800 individuals in the county. It's not even the smallest county in Oregon. Another county has only 1,400 individuals. And there's a DA in that county, and that DA could empower a grand jury, and that grand jury could request unredacted information from the Department of Health and Human Services or from uh, Fauci's office, et cetera. So th this is an important lever that we have to hold government actors accountable. Amen. 
I, I don't know if everybody can hear me. Can everybody hear me? My my uh, video is frozen for some reason. I tried to get it working. Um, thank you so much for that, Senator. I think what stands out for me is that the Department of Justice is defending the criminals <laughs> that we're accusing. And that uh, what was very interesting in that scenario was we were supposed to get under the law a default judgment in our favor and be able to get the information to a grand jury pronto. Instead, what the judge did was he afforded the Department of Justice more time uh, that they didn't even request. He gave them they gave them more. So you can see the you can see the collusion here and it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's going on. Um, but what I want to uh, what I want to say, just uh, exiting out here for today is one Grace Roy. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, thank you to everybody in your audience for listening in. We really appreciate everybody staying aware of what's going on here. And we invite everyone to join us at beyondthecon.com at 5 p.m. Pacific on December 5th. That's next Tuesday so that we can have a press conference uh, following uh, what should have been oral arguments for us. And we can uh, to have a Q&A session and launch phase two so that we can put templates and information in your hands to so that you in 2024 will be able to pressure the system and the counties in which you live. Uh, Henry, so go for Henry, it. Henry, before you exit out, I just want to share three questions and I think, you know, some of you will be able to answer it. This one thing, let's say the question about if maybe for uh, Judge Nally, are you, do you know what happened to the grand jury that happened um, in Europe or the, the grand jury done by Reinhard Fulmich? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I did not keep up with that. Can I comment on that, Grace? Perfect. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that was not a grand jury. Um, that was a, uh, sadly, in my opinion, and I mean no disrespect to anyone who contributed to that. I know one of our dear friends, Anna Garner, was involved uh, in that, and she's uh, just of incredible integrity. Uh, but I have great concerns about Reiner and what he did with that. Um, I felt like it was misrepresenting what it was and it was giving people hope that it was some Nuremberg trial when really what it was was an educational opportunity to help people understand what was going on. It was a mock situation whereby um, he was attempting to show what could happen if this went down. The problem was that it was either misconstrued or poorly expressed. And uh, this is the danger of people going out and saying, hey, we're going to hold our own grand jury. In the United States, and I want everybody to be very aware of this, it is a federal offense to um, impersonate a federal official and a grand juror would constitute that. So if you are calling yourself or trying to convene your own grand jury, you can bring the full force of this corrupt government down upon you in doing so. So you want to be very careful about that, um, for starters. And uh, I just... I. I didn't like what happened um, with that one at all. Not the information or the people who were involved. I just didn't like the concept of it. I thought it was very misleading to the public and and that people were calling it a grand jury is evidence of that. Oh, thank you so much. Um, then the other one is, uh, if any of you knows what happened to the Brunson brothers petition to the Supreme Court. Not familiar with that petition. Is anybody familiar with that? I'm not. The last I heard was the Supreme Court declined to hear their petition. That was the last I heard. But 
they do have a legitimate claim. And I've tried to get in touch with them to recommend that they take their claim to a grand jury, but I wasn't able to. Thanks. Thanks, Judge Nally. And <clears throat> this one may be for Albert. Um, is, uh, won't the insurance companies have a good picture of death or adverse effects due to vaccines? Um, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, you know, with, uh, uh, Ed Dowd's information, the, uh, I think with the death certificates and stuff like that, and, uh, I think they do have a good idea about, about the, um, about the possibility of vaccine injury. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like it's implied. We can't really uh, definitively say, oh, yeah, this is the vaccine uh, injury. But there's no other there's not too many other possibilities of why, uh, uh, you know, uh, infertility is skyrocketing, why turbo cancers are skyrocketing, um, you know, but it all kind of flushes out, um, you know, with with Ed Dowd's good work in that insurance uh, stuff. But, you know, this is a good this is a good time to say that I truly believe that uh, the underreporting factor, if you call it, is probably closer to that to that uh, hundred, the X factor of 100. So if they're telling us 18000 people have been um, are in the bear system, uh, domestic Americans, and you can multiply that by 100 and call it one point eight million people of uh maybe have died from this vaccine i really think that that's probably closer to the truth than than the 18,000 or even what the pro vaccine people might say that 18,000 is too many and it's over theirs is actually over reported because so many people know about it about the system now and no, I, I think I think more than over 1.5 million people have have actually perished in the continental United States from the vaccine, and and that's not even that's not even the big payout for for big pharma. I think the big payout is the infertility that it's causing in um, males and females of childbearing age, you know, particularly the females of childbearing age. So. This is scary. This is really scary. I, I think it's it's a uh, possibly a depopulate. I do believe it's a depopulation plan, but I'll leave it there. Yeah. Thank you for that response. Thank you for educating us. Um, then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is the first grand jury that's happening in United States. Is that correct? This is the first attempt at well, for. We we get caught into we get caught up I think in in who's first and everything like that it doesn't matter um, you know there might be another group out there doing something similar that we're all unaware of and they're further along I don't know I, I haven't seen anyone further along than us um, but that doesn't mean anything either you know what it comes down to is do you love your country do you love your family and are you, do you have the guts to fight um, and that's that's really what this is all about and if we have those guts. Um, then it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter what we have to do. What matters is the objective, the, the objective of securing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for future generations. Um, and I think that's where all of us stand. 
uh, Grace. I think that's where you and Roy stand as well. And I think what we have to all do is have some time with the person in the mirror and figure out who we are and what we're about. You know, I want to believe that um, my birthright of freedom was given to me by brave men and women who were willing to sacrifice their life for me to have that freedom. And if it's called upon me to do the same in my lifetime, then I have to look myself in the mirror and say, yeah, then this is what has to happen. Uh, and I think that's what the hallmark of this team is. Um, we make sure we don't get into sensationalization and we're not here to be like, well, look at us, look at us, look what we did. We want all the credit. I don't care about any credit. Nobody in this team cares about credit. We care about one thing, winning. Um, and I don't care if all the work that we've done amounts to nothing and somebody else gets in and we win. I don't care. I'm going to be celebrating with that team and we're going to go and have a party and we're going to celebrate freedom. You know, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that the biggest thing for me, Grace, is that um, I can't tell you the great disdain I have for a price tag being on a child's head. I can't tell you that how infuriating it is for me to know that a child, a loved one is valued at $250,000 and it's in our loss. I can't tell you how infuriating it is for me to know that a company can put out a product that they know to be harmful, they know to be injurious, and they can still rake in billions and walk free while doing it. And that the American people and people around the world have no recourse to do that. There's no way for us to correct that system as it currently is designed. So that means we have to change the design of the system. And if uh, we're willing to do that, if we're willing to have the guts to get into that fight, then we're going to have an amazing world that we're going to be able to pass on to these children. And if we don't have the guts for that fight, then there is no future for those children. And that's really as simple as it is. You are either good or you are evil. And it is very clear on which side of the fence people stand these days. So um, for us, uh, you probably have heard me and my rhetoric get a little bit more passionate and a little bit more direct. You'll probably hear more of that in the future because I don't have time for cowards and I don't have time for sellouts. And I am totally fine with calling people what they are. And what we are right now is a country full of cowards and sellouts. And the people on this team are none of the above. We are courageous Americans, and we're going to keep doing everything we can to inspire people to do and be the same. Thank you so very much. And um, amen to that. To God be the glory and onward, soldiers. We're on to in this fight forever because it just it just it's just so necessary and. I'm sure we'll be, we'll be in this together. And I just, just wanted to emphasize that, you know, your, 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 this one movement or just the beginning really, um, if, as you are part of the founder of the Energetic Institute, you know that it just, that oscillation of good things to do continues. Because I know of another organization that suddenly I got connected and they're kind of like doing similar things for you. So I hope all of you could get, you know, come together because we need that. We need that. And thank you. And um, Roy, Colin and I, and we will be posting this recorded live stream in all different platforms. So in BitChute, Rumble, 
and Brighteon. So please share that. There is no limitation to where we could share it. If any of you wants the MP4, MP3, re just reach out to me and I would gladly share that. Okay. And any last or few words on where they can donate, connect December 5, please. Let's say to everybody listening uh, and everybody watching on recording, join us December 5th, 5 p.m. Pacific, and we're going to take it from there. Uh, we welcome all donations, of course, but we really value much more your participation um, in what we're doing here. And we'd like to start building this community. We will start meeting effective and immediately uh, as of December 5th, once a month for these community sessions. We're going we're gonna to show you a pathway for you to be a part of uh, your own rescue in this beautiful country of ours. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take this country back, but we're going to do it the right way. And we're going to do it and make sure we have a good foundation so this doesn't happen ever again. And the website for that is beyondthecon.com. Beyondthecon.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Oh, thank you, everyone. Source bless you. Let's take care. Thank you, Judge Nally, Albert, Dent, Senator Dennis, and of course, Dr. Ely. Good to see all of you again, and, and Roy. So anyway, take care of yourselves and stay well, okay? <laughs> stay well. Take care. Thank you, Grace.